listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now bring you Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Shulman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman, and welcome once again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the completion, the fulfillment, the full realization of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and its sacraments. Now, if you've been a listener for a while, you know that pretty much my favorite thing to do on this show is to bring on a convert uh, to the Catholic faith, to the Catholic Church, to talk about how the Lord worked in his or her life, to bring him or her into the fullness of the truth in the Catholic Church, And sometimes these people are Jews who have become Jews in the Catholic Church. And sometimes they are people from atheist backgrounds or Protestant backgrounds or whatever. Actually, once it was even from a Hindu background. Now, the guest I have on today I'm very excited about, uh, in part because she came from a background of, um, how can I put this, Uh, she... She she was trained to think there was something very fundamentally wrong with the Catholic Church and that there was really an issue of whether Catholics were even Christians. And I know that, thank God, we sometimes have listeners who uh, may not be Catholic and may even have some of the same misconceptions. So it's a very exciting opportunity to go through her journey. And the other exciting thing about having her on the show today is that she is going to be a uh, pilgrim on my upcoming pilgrimage to Israel, to the Holy Land. I'm leading a group to the Holy Land in April, and we will be going to the all of the normal Christian and Catholic pilgrimage sites, the places sanctified by events in the life and death of Jesus, such as the tomb where he was buried, and Calvary, where he died on the crucifix, and the Garden of Gethsemane and the stone on which he sweat blood and the prison cell where he spent the last night before Good Friday and the Mount of Beatitudes where he preached to the multitudes and on and on and on and on. But we will also be visiting a number of sites associated with the Old Testament and with uh, Judaism of the Old Testament and even with uh, Judaism following the Old Testament. For instance, the very first night, We will be spending literally over the cave of Elijah, where Elijah the prophet lived. And we will be um, uh, dealing throughout the pilgrimage with the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church. So anyway, uh, and I'm very excited that our our guest is actually going to be on that pilgrimage. If any of the listeners would like to find out more about the pilgrimage, there's still some spots on it. Um, You can go to my website, salvationisfromthejews.com, or you can send me an email at... Jewish Messiah, all one word, at gmail.com, Jewish Messiah at gmail.com. But with that introduction, um, are you there, Nancy? Yes, I am. So the really the only thing to do is to start at the beginning. Um, I know that uh, when we spoke before in preparation for the show, you said that you went through a, a born-again Christian experience in, in high school, and a number of years later, of course, now you're in the Catholic Church. So I guess... The thing to do is to ask you to fill in that journey in between the two. Sure. Actually, what I'd like to do is start with my growing up. My family were wonderful models of Judeo-Christian principles, morality, absolutely wonderful. 
Um, and we went to church, but God wasn't really involved personally. In my family, at meal, we would say, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food. Uh, at church, I learned, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, or the Bible tells me so. And I always have that sense of God is love and Jesus loves me, um, and the Bible. And then when I um, was in high school, oh, you know, even in our church, we, we went every Sunday because that's what people did in the early 60s, And except for Christmas and Easter. Christmas Eve was opening presents. Christmas Day, the church doors weren't open. We did show up on Easter, but it was to take a family picture with our Sunday best and Easter bonnets. And, but then in high school, uh, my family had encouraged me to be in the youth group. It was a nice, wholesome thing to do. I learned through that, went to youth camp, loved God outdoors. I really sensed God's presence. But still, it wasn't a personal God. It was Kumbaya at the, at the fire, which I loved. I absolutely loved. And it was, you know, Noah built an arky arky out of gopher barky barky. And the songs that were fun, I learned God's fun. God's a lot of fun. But it still wasn't personal. And then in high school, our youth group lead uh, director actually introduced us to some Christians. They called themselves born-again Christians. And I learned the Bible verses, whoever believes in God, uh, John 3.16, will have eternal life. And I, I loved that new connection. From there, I was funneled into a college campus group where we we learned that God loves us, that we're sinners, God has a wonderful plan for our lives, we need to trust in Him, and we need to pray the prayer, which I did. And then um, some of my friends in that college group directed me to a Bible-believing church that was very fundamentalist. In fact, it belonged to a loosely organized group of churches called Independent Fundamental Bible-Believing Churches of America. And I'm so grateful for my foundation in the Word of God. And my pastor at that church was a Messianic Jew, which was what, uh, at least from a Protestant perspective, we would have we called him a Messianic Jew. And I've always been so fascinated with Judaism because my my city growing up, my graduating class from high school was seventy five percent Jewish. So I learned I learned so much about the scriptures and I learned about types and anti types, you know, the comparison from the old Testament to the new and I'm so, so, so grateful for that. When I met my husband and we got married, he was involved with a, uh, a conservative mainline church, but I thought it was way too liberal. And I don't want to point fingers at a denomination um, because it, they're all special places on my journey. So I was married. I attended his church. We had a baby a number of years into our marriage, 
who was born very early and died. And at that point, my husband stopped going to church. And I stayed with that, what I thought was a liberal mainline church for about a year, realized he wasn't coming back, and proceeded on the search for a church that I thought looked was right with me. I always stayed with Christian churches, visited lots and lots and lots of churches, stayed for a while at some. I know there was one, um, I guess you would call it independent evangelical, a lot of praise and worship church that I really, really liked, but I always would miss communion. They had it once every other month in the church itself, and I had once every other month in small home groups. I was not part of a small home group. And if I was sick on that day, I would I would miss taking communion. And that's an interesting thread for my past, too. My first time I took communion was at church camp, and I felt real guilty, though, because I hadn't been to confirmation at my church, was, which was kind of your ticket to taking communion. Once I had the born-again experience, we had communion once with potato chips and Coke when we were told that, you know, this was the common food of today and... Wine and bread was the common sin of Bible time, and it just didn't feel right to me. We had a um, a Christian Seder meal that was absolutely fabulous. And at the end of the meal, and people were clearing dishes away, there's little bits of wine left in the glasses, and it it just didn't feel right that that was sitting there. And now at the time, I did not believe in the body and blood, the real presence of the body and blood in the Eucharist. But God just kept me, kept me with this journey. And I'm, I'm just, I'm so, so, so grateful for all the steps along the way. Finally, eight years into my search after my son had died, I heard the bells from the Catholic Church down the street. And my fundamentalist church was highly, strongly anti-Catholic. I really didn't think, I did not think Catholics were Christians. My husband and I actually gave support to a couple whose missionary purpose was to share the gospel with Catholics so that they could become Christians. But I heard the bells from the Catholic church, and I, I said, Nancy, I'm talking to myself, Nancy, there's a cross there. You cannot turn, you cannot cross that off your list without visiting. That's not honest. I want to be honest in my search. And so I went, and I figured, well, before I before I went, I thought, I'll go to the Catholic Church this Sunday. And then there was another denomination across the street that I thought was almost Catholic. So I'll go to that church next Sunday and continue on my search. When I walked into the Catholic Church down the street, I was absolutely shocked. I could not believe that the Bible was read. In fact, the entire liturgy of the Word, that this service is all Scripture. I was absolutely shocked. I was taught that Catholics didn't use the Bible, weren't, were not encouraged to read the Bible, rather were 
told what to do by the Catholic Church. And it happened to be Confirmation Sunday. And the eighth graders are saying, I do, I do, I do. The moment that I walked in that church, I knew I was being called to the Catholic Church. And how, how can this be? How can this be? I don't believe this stuff. It's not. But I, I am honest, and I knew that I was not going to stand up and say, I do if I did. So at that point, I stopped going to the Protestant churches. I stopped taking communion. And then for two years, during my investigation of the Catholic Church, I didn't receive the Eucharist either. And there was a real hunger. I remember going to daily Mass, and I would just pray for the folks that were going forward. Please, do you know that this is really the body and blood of Jesus Christ? I I read through the catechism four times, the whole big catechism, and I kept underlining, I don't agree, I don't agree, I don't agree, I question mark. And I would meet with priests, and, you know, I don't understand this, I don't understand this. How could... How could Mary uh, be born without sin? Well, it's a miracle for one thing, but she had to have been born without sin. She's human. Jesus is fully human. God is divine, fully divine. Mary's seed and the seed from God, the Holy Spirit, joined in Jesus' is fully human, fully divine. If Mary's seed had original sin, Jesus would not have been sin-free. He would have carried the penalty for original sin in his own life. Mary has to have been born without original sin. With Mary and Joseph, sure, I understood that she was a virgin before Jesus was born, but what about she and Joseph having relations after Jesus was born. Talks about his brothers and, and sisters in the Bible. Well, cousins were referred to as brothers and sisters in Bible times. And now, looking back, Mary is the Ark of the Covenant. The, Ar- the Ark of the Covenant contained the manna, and the stone tablets. She is the new ark. She contains the bread of life. She contains the word of God. The, you did not touch the ark. You did not touch the ark of the covenant. Even by mistake, I can't remember who it was that was trying to steady a cart that looked like the ark was going to tip off. And he died on the spot. Sons of Aaron, I believe, two sons of Aaron, yeah. Yes, and Joseph, touch in a biblical sense, can also mean relations between a husband and a wife. Joseph would not have touched Mary. She's the ark. It It just makes so much sense looking back. But even Mary, I call it the Mary thing. You know, Catholics worship Mary. What is this, praying to Mary? Statues about Mary. This is crazy. And God even wove that through my life 
when I was little one year for Halloween, I wanted to dress up as Miriam. And I had a, a blue dress and a beautiful a white shawl around my head. And everybody thought I was Mary. I said, no, I'm Miriam. I'm Miriam. Well, I found out maybe a month ago <laughs> that Miriam is a Jewish name for Mary. I was, I was able to play the part of, now this is my church that, that didn't really pray to God because they believed God was inside everybody. But also the church where I learned Jesus loves me, this is so. The Bible tells me so. I was able to play the part of Mary in the Christmas pageant that we had. Your little angels, the girls are angels as they grow older, and then the, the final year they chose one girl as Mary. That was me. At my, my mainline conservative church, they had a Christmas play. I was Mary with my newborn son. The man who was Joseph also had a wife who was pregnant, very pregnant. So there were two Marys. She was pregnant Mary. I was Mary after delivering Jesus, who was played by the part of my son. And yet, when I'm watching Scott Hahn's testimony, and he's talking, this is before his wife's conversion, and he was saying, she knows I'm asking you to pray for this. She has three stumbling blocks. They're Mary, Mary, and Mary. And I'm thinking to myself, this is these are my stumbling blocks. I don't get this at all. I knew my heart had converted. I mean, my head had converted. I could give you all these little bits of information that I've just shared. But I was wondering, what is my my heart? What is the the inside of my being going to convert? While I was watching that tape, of course, this goes back to VCR tapes, I was making rosaries. I wanted to learn how to make rosaries when I was in RCIA. So I'm sitting making rosaries watching this tape, and I looked down at the rosary I was making, and I thought to myself, this is probably number 1,000 that I've made. I think maybe Jesus has converted my heart to his mother. So what, um, what, uh, boy, I know that in a way this is an unanswerable question, but what convicted you of the truth of the Catholic Church? Well, when I walked in that Sunday, I was just absolutely shocked. This is because I came from the Bible, Bible, Bible background. I was so aware that this is all biblical. No, I know that, but it's biblical in the Protestant churches too. So there must have been some point where you decided that the Catholic Church's teachings are really real and the Eucharist is really the true presence. And Mary is, as, as you mentioned before, really sinless. And was this, did you, did this kind of come upon you when you entered that Catholic Church? Did it come from studying the catechism? Did it come from just over time gradually? How did, how did the transformation come about, the conviction? Well, what happened to me when I walked into that Catholic Church on Confirmation Sunday, I had the conviction, just the knowingness, that I was being called to Catholic Church, and I was like, this makes no sense. So when I started with the catechism, and I read through four times, 
each time through, I had less things underlined that I didn't understand. Oh, that this I is very interesting. Believe. Let me just back up because, first of all, I want to understand it, but I also want to make it clear because this is really kind of a powerful statement. You're basically saying before you were convinced of the truth of Catholicism, you were convinced that God was calling you to the Catholic Church. Absolutely. And it, it, I could not put that together with my reasoning, but I knew that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I then gradually, I, as you studied the teachings, um, then the things that you thought were impossibilities and objections and so forth uh, fell away. That's correct. And the fourth time through, now there are just a few things I don't understand. Having talked to so many priests, I, I just said, God, I'm going to have to take these on faith. I'm just going to have to take these on faith. One of those things being the real presence in the body and blood of Jesus in the Eucharist. I I just couldn't wrap my mind around that, but I knew it was true. So I figured I'd have to take it on faith. Um, the first time I was at our cathedral downtown, and the bishop was consecrating the host, and he held up the chalice and the host, I saw, not with my eyes, but I saw a halo over the Eucharist. And it it was a real gift to me from God. This really is, this really is the body and blood of Jesus. And then another incredible gift. Oh, it's, I was privileged to be able to go on a pilgrimage to see the shroud. We were there very early small group of 20 people, nobody else was there. I immediately knelt in front of the shout. I wasn't even aware of anyone else in our group. And I just kept staring, and this is really, really, this is really, really the blood of Jesus. And that's when I heard, again, not with my ears, I don't hear voices, but it was, yes, Nancy, and it's really, really, really my blood my body, my blood, and the Eucharist. I just feel like it's almost unfair. How could so many incredible things happen to one person? And, you know, there when was, you tell your story, it started, I mean, I'm struck because when when you were still in Protestant circles, you were very drawn to what they called communion, right? I was. And I so don't that must have been God calling you too, in a way, to the family. Catholic Church. Exactly. That was not part of my growing up church. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, he had it, your, his eye on you amazing. for a long time. I guess so. You know, the most amazing, amazing experience that I had with receiving the Eucharist I, on a pilgrimage, I was kneeling at the very spot where the cross of Jesus was at Calvary, the, the chapel where that spot, I was kneeling underneath the altar. And at the next side chapel, there's so many chapels at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. At the very next side chapel, there was a mass that's being said in English, which is unusual. There's languages all over the world that use these side chapels. And at the moment that I was kneeling at the foot of Calvary, the priest in the next side chapel was consecrating the host. So 
So I received spiritual communion right at the foot of Calvary. Wow. <laughs> how, wow. how does that happen? Well, it'll you'll have an opportunity actually to have that happen in a couple of months when we go to Israel. Um, because of course we will be having mass there as well as inside the tomb and all kinds of other amazing, amazing oh, uh, places. Um, I think what I want to do now is and we usually take a, a short break about halfway through the program. I might want to ask Nancy to, in some sense, speak to any listeners who might be, where she was before she came to the Catholic Church and have serious reservations about various aspects of Catholicism. Maybe I'll even play devil's advocate and bring up some of those objections and find out how the Holy Spirit um, led her to the right side of those objections, so to speak. So with that, let's go to a short break. You're listening to Roy Shoman on Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. Be back in a few minutes.
You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now return to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Shulman. Hi, welcome back. We're talking today with Nancy, a um, convert from Protestantism to the Catholic Church. I was going to ask you, Nancy, um, gee, what would you say, I mean, what, what, when, when you were still kind of catechized against Catholicism with all these objections to Catholicism, I don't know if they were about, um, you know, how wicked the popes were or about, um, you know, worship of Mary or about, you know, the myth of the Eucharist or whatever. But, but what were the, some of the things you would have thought of with respect to the Catholic Church before your conversion and your response to them now? Well, the Eucharist. <laughs> The, earth, the Eucharist is huge. It's 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 the foundation. I think a roundabout way of answering. I was open. I was open. I was honest. I was asking questions, but I had a true desire to know. It wasn't from an apologetic point of view and arguments. I could have. I could have come up with, with an argument to any Catholic teaching, scripture, verse. Um, it's like the difference between when the angel told Zechariah that his his wife was going to conceive John the Baptist. And he says, you know, how do I know for sure? And the angel said, it'll happen, but because you didn't believe me, you won't be able to talk until the baby's born. And Mary asked the same question. She says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And the words might sound the same, but it must be that she's just openly, honestly, not disbelieving, but seeking to understand in the center of her heart. And God must have known that's where I was. I asked lots and lots of questions. And some of them might sound crazy, uh, but I was open. I wasn't disrespectful, even though, how can this be, God? How can this be? I was really searching. I was searching for where God wanted me to be. And I didn't know where that where that journey would lead. I didn't know. You remind me, there's a, there's a famous uh, Jewish convert of the 19th century, Alphonse Radisbone, and he was very, very, very anti-Catholic when he was Jewish. And uh, a, a Catholic friend of his was showing around him around Rome and uh, basically said to him, I'm sure that one day you'll enter the Catholic Church. God will show you the truth, even if he has to send an angel, because of how serious you are about finding out the truth. Mm-hmm. I was like that. I was and like that. That's, that's really beautiful testimony because... Um, Basically, I don't want to oversimplify, but God's in the business of bringing us to him and bringing us to him in the best, you know, maximum possible way, which is the Catholic Church. And really, the only thing that impedes him from doing that is our self-will to the contrary. Um, you know, that if we vote, essentially say, I don't want to know, I don't want to hear the truth, I don't want to be convinced of the truth of Catholicism, he'll respect that. As a matter of fact, it happened to me. Uh, it's not time to go into my conversion story, 
But when God revealed himself to me, I didn't know who he was and I didn't know what religion to follow. And I said, I don't mind if you're Buddha and I have to become Buddhist. I don't mind if you're Christian and I have to become Hindu. As long as you're not Christ and I have to become Christian. And so he didn't tell me mm. he was Christ because I wasn't willing to hear it. And um, what you're saying is, how, whatever your reservations were against the Catholic Church, you weren't saying that to God. You weren't refusing to go wherever he led you, even if it was to the Catholic Church. Yeah, that's correct. And it was people's lives that impacted me. There was no apologetic you could have thrown at me or a question that I couldn't have had an answer for. It was people's lives. My neighbor, who I took to an ultrasound, I'm an OB nurse. It's very clear in this ultrasound. Her baby has lethal birth defects. And we're both crying. And we get in the car, and then she looks over, and she pats me, and she says, Nancy, it'll be okay. And I, I looked at her, and then she says, no, I don't, I don't mean it'll be okay. I just know God will take care of us. And that, that didn't, I knew she was Catholic. And I'm seeing this, she's just seen that her baby has lethal birth defects. She's trusting. It, it was such a jar to me. How could a Catholic be talking like this? Because I really, truly didn't believe Catholics were Christians, not in a nasty way. And I had another neighbor whose son was threatening to kill himself. And she said, please, Nancy, pray for Brian, please. But I know he's in God's hands. Everything will be all right. And it was the same thing. But you're Catholic. You're not, in my mind, she wasn't a Christian, but how can you be so trusting? And that was another thing that just opened me up. It was seeing it in people's lives. That's the ultimate evangelization, witnessing with our lives and, and, and with our inner bearing. That, that's what made the difference. And the priest, I asked so many questions and just very patiently answering what I asked, but not more than I asked, waiting for me to ask the next question. It was really wonderful. Well, congratulations, Mazel tov. So, so uh, <laughs> speak a little bit about um, how grateful you are now for, for being in the Catholic Church. Oh, my gosh. Every single day, I'm, I'm just grateful. I'm, how do I even say this? It's, uh, ask me your question again. How do I know that I'm grateful? No, no, just, just talk about it. Just, just talk about, you know, how thankful you are to God for bringing you to the Catholic Church. Oh, my gosh. I, I can't believe that this happened to me. I And then I look back, I've heard the example of you look in a church from the outside and you, you see that the stained glass windows just look black, but when you're inside, the light comes through. It's very much that way for me. I don't know why it didn't ever sink in. John chapter 6, when Jesus says, you have to eat me, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and some of the disciples, not the apostles, but the many disciples who were following, was like, wait a minute, this is crazy. He's asking us to be cannibals? And Jesus didn't say, oh, no, no, you people, you got it wrong. I just was using this as an analogy. He let him go. And the apostles asked him, where else do we go? 
what else can we do? They they didn't get what he was saying. It was absolute horror. But they did, they knew they didn't have anywhere else to turn. And I I had read the words in John six before. I don't know why I didn't ever see it before. Or at the Last Supper, when Jesus says, "This is my body. This is my blood." At that point, he is not talking in parables and symbolism. He's getting ready to face the crucifixion. He's speaking plainly to his disciples. This is my body. It's not this is like my body. When, uh, it, oh my gosh, it's just it's just so amazing to me. I'm so grateful because it, it still is so impossible that I ever made that transition. I guess I can just, like you say, I can only be grateful that I knew I was open and honest and wanting to do whatever God asked me to do, no matter how little sense it made to me. Okay. Well, we're, we only, uh, we're, we're coming to the last phase of the program, last part of the program. So I did want to ask you um, why basically why you signed up for this uh, pilgrimage to Israel. Well, I was very privileged. Like I said, I'm very drawn to to Jewish faith and Jewish tradition. I was privileged about 12 years ago to go to Israel. An Orthodox Jewish friend of mine invited me. I stayed for a month. I saw Israel very much through Jewish eyes. I was a Catholic at that point. So I, when she was working, I did some little side trips on my own, seeing Catholic sites, Christian sites. Then I went about three years ago with a Catholic pilgrimage, which was absolutely wonderful. That was when I was able to receive spiritual communion at the foot of Calvary. And now, up until I've signed up now, but number one, number one on my bucket list has been to go back to Israel to see it through Hebrew Catholic eyes. I didn't know how God was ever going to arrange this. And you folks that are listening, I have never heard of Roy Shulman. I have never listened to the radio show. And it was advertised on an EWTN program in my area, and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe I didn't think it'd be so soon. I thought it'd be, you know, another 10 years or so. This is number one on my bucket list. And I have to say, I'm, a, I'm an older woman. I live on Social Security. Um, I'm, I'm selling things. I'm not wealthy. I sold a snowblower. It snowed here yesterday and the day before. I'm selling furniture I don't use anymore. I'm eating baked potatoes with with cheese and salt and pepper, they're good, but it's cheaper protein. Or eat scrambled eggs, or it's those kinds of things for me, it's worth it. And I'm saving my pennies, and I still don't know where all the funds are going to come from for this trip. But I know God's led it, and God's provided it, and it will happen. Wow, well, that's that's very uh, humbling, um, as well as making me feel... Um Anyway, very, very, very uh, responsible. I um, 
what were two or three of your, uh, I mean, uh, Calvary, obviously, very, very high on the list of um, most moving places in the Holy Land to pray. And by the way, um, the, the purpose of a pilgrimage, I don't want to be too preachy, but the purpose of a pilgrimage is essentially prayer. And that's, of course, the focus of this pilgrimage is to go to these places and get have the privilege of praying in these very holy places. And something else that I'm convinced of is God is outside of time. And there's a way in which these pilgrimage spots are outside of time, too. So there's a way in which, uh, for instance, when you're at the spot where Jesus multiplied the um the loaves and the fish to feed everybody you are there with when that happened in another kind of way and um to pray one of my favorite places in jerusalem actually is the cell in caiaphas's palace where jesus was held the night before good friday because you know you can you can be there and that cell actually not very many people visit so you can be I'm there i've been there yeah, no, most, many people don't visit it, but you can actually be alone, and we're going to be a small group, obviously in the case of our group, it'll be with a small group, praying, basically consoling Jesus the night before the crucifixion, in the place where he was the night before the crucifixion. Yeah. We're, we're going to be, there's, of course, everybody knows about Gethsemane, and the stone on which uh, Jesus sweat blood, and every Catholic pilgrimage goes there. It's in the what's called the Church of All, All Nations now, in the Garden of Gethsemane. But we're actually going to have a private holy hour there after the church is closed to the public, and we're there alone, and we can, again, be on the rock. It's only the size of maybe, you know, a king-size bed, and that's maybe a bad <laughs> metaphor, but, you know, it's only maybe 15... 20 feet by 20 feet, be on the stone where Jesus was praying and said to his um, apostles, you know, can't you, can't you pray with me even one hour? Mm-hmm. We can be making up for his apostles and being there praying with him for one hour, in some sense, you know, joining him uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane immediately before his crucifixion. So the, the only point of pilgrimage really is, is, is prayer, but, um, but I'm I'm very excited. I certainly don't don't have the time to um, go through. Um, it's probably a list of about thirty or forty of these um, absolutely amazing places where we'll we'll have the privilege of um, visiting and spending time in in prayer. Um, and some of them are also, as I mentioned, um, uh, connected to to Judaism. Uh, for instance, um, I'm very fond of Elijah. <laughs> I don't know how to put it, but um, and one of the places that we'll be going to and that I'm, I like to go is where he had the battle with the prophets of Baal, where he built an altar and called down fire from heaven. And the 400 prophets of Baal built an altar and called down fire from heaven. And their God wasn't able to uh, come through. But of course, Elijah's God did, and then he proceeded to cut off the heads of those 400 prophets of Baal. My conversion is still underway, as you can tell, because I like stories like that. And I like, um, you know, I like uh, being in places like that and and, uh, visiting places like that. And also, um, we're going to go to some place called Safad, which I don't know of any non-Jewish group who goes to. But actually what happened was, 
um, after the second revolt against the Romans, about 130 AD, the Jews were expelled from Jerusalem under pain of death. And they basically settled and they made Safad the center of Judaism uh, in the absence of Jerusalem. And um, it's associated with, you know, with the with the uh, major, especially the major mystical rabbis of uh, Judaism who are seen. I'm not saying they are are prophets or saints, but they're certainly seen within Judaism as prophets and saints, and they're revered as prophets and saints. And of course, now they're, I don't know a nice way to put this, but now they're all Catholic, right? Because now they're all dead, so they know the truth. So I'm looking forward to uh, praying at their tombs that they might um, share the wealth, so to speak, and intercede for their co-religionists today who don't know the truth to come to the fullness of the truth, which they are at now, if you see what I mean. So anyway, that's all. I apologize for the infomercial. But um, if anyone's interested, go to my website, salvationsfromthejews.com, or um, you can send me an email at jewishmessiah at uh, gmail.com. So um, any uh, any specific places high on, on your list, Nancy, that you're looking forward to going back to? I'll tell you right now, you've got me in tears. I'm still back at the rock where Jesus prayed. I mean, I've never been there in to pray for an hour with him. Ah, I mean, I've got chills going through me right now. Um, okay. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm swept away. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's, I, I have gone many times to Israel, both before my conversion and, uh, you know, as a hardcore Jew and now as a Jewish Catholic. Um, I've, I've led a couple of, uh, pilgrimages already to Israel. Um, and I was very happy, basically, because of what I just said, basically, um, they're, conf- they're conflicting forces when, um, it's a matter of a pilgrimage group. They're, um, they're, you know, the tour guide might be wanting to make some money by dragging people to shops where he gets a kickback. Um, some people may be wanting to, you know, visit gift shops and go shopping and stuff. And, um, my whole purpose in leading a pilgrimage is to, is to, um, maximize the prayer essentially and thank orient you, everything you, and make you, all you. the decisions to, um, make the prayer as fruitful as possible. As a matter of fact, I'll mention the last pilgrimage group I, I took, I, I had a new system where, uh, there were about 25 of us total. And we would go to a place to pray, whether it was, um, you know, Mount Tabor, where, you know, where um, the three uh, apostles saw Jesus in glory with, with uh, Moses and Elijah, or whether it was, um, you know, the side of the Sermon on the Mount, or whether it was Caiaphas, you know, Peter's, where, where um, Peter's house, excuse me, not Caiaphas, Capernaum where uh, Peter's house was or wherever. And we would, we would um, get out of the vehicles and we would go there and just pray. And the interesting thing was everyone was finished praying at the same time. In other words, mm-hmm. I didn't say, okay, you have a half an hour and then everyone back to the bus. It was just, we'll be here. We'll pray until it's kind of finished. And the funny thing is it was never like some people were keeping praying and other people were finished. It's like people would start praying 
And then at pretty much the same time, people would start, you know, getting out of prayer and milling around and being kind of ready to leave. It was obviously the, the Holy Spirit at work. So um, anyway, that's anyway, more enough infomercial. Um, but uh, anyway, so uh, I guess all I can say is thank you very much, Nancy. And I want to give you, uh, you know, a chance to put in the last word if you want. Well, what came to my mind just now was um, when Jesus was giving what was called the Great Commission from my evangelical point of view to his disciples just before he ascended, and he said, I will be with you always. Well, he said, I am with you always. And he is in the Eucharist. He is actually with us. In the Eucharist, we, uh, I had always thought that to mean the Holy Spirit that had been given to us, but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all with us. So that I'm, I'm beyond blessed to be able to have this opportunity to go and also to talk to you today. Well, thank you. And, and I, I know that our listeners, um, we're blessed by your by your witness testimony and by um, I mean basically it's only the truth and every Catholic should be aware of this but it's very rare which is um, in, in in a very real way I mean obviously the biggest thing in life is is God by a long shot and therefore since the ultimate intimacy with God only comes through the Catholic Church and the sacraments of the Catholic Church. Basically, the biggest thing in our lives is our relationship to God through the Catholic Church. And it comes across loud and clear in, in everything um, you say and in everything you said, Nancy. So I'm sure that's a huge blessing for our listeners. So I want to thank you. And I want to thank our listeners for having tuned in today. And I hope you join us again uh, next week on Radio Maria on Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism. Um, this is Roy Shoman, and bye for now.